Nazir Perk Tes Mishnah Dalad 9.4. This is the second to last Mishnah of the Masechta. It's totally off topic, nothing to do with Naziris at all. It's because two Mishnahs ago we mentioned the expression of Shiraglain Ladavar. There's a basis for the matter. Um, and because of that, we're going to discuss three different topics. Really, these are really um, cut and pastes from three different Mishnahs elsewhere in Shas. Um, where we have some kind of uncertainty, and we're going to resolve them based on this Raglan Madovar idea. There's a basis um, based on some past information to decide how we rule in the current uncertain situation. So the first of the three topics is talking about Negaim, that's Tsaras, um, which basically means that a person has some kind of white skin marking. I don't know how to translate better than that. Um, and the question is, is this tsaras for some kind of, you know, something else more benign like eczema or something? So tsaras makes a person into a matsora, their tummy, and that's a very potent source of tumma. The way one becomes a mitsora muchlat, a confirmed, confirmed matsora, is that he presents his nega, his white mark, to a kohen. Um, if it has a confirming feature, meaning that it has um, white hairs or it has like a healthy spot in the middle of it, so then that automatically could make the person into a muchlat, um, a confirmed mitzora. But if there aren't those confirming features, so then the person with the skin affliction will um, be put into what's called hezger, into um, quarantine, and he'll wait a week. After a week, he'll come back to the Kohen. The Kohen will re-examine the nega and decide, is this indeed tzaras? Um, if these white hairs appear, if... Um, there's a healthy patch in the middle, the michia, so then that would be a confirming sign. But the third confirming sign is, is what's called pision, um, expansion. So if it's pasa, if it has grown, so then that would also be confirming that this is a nega and the person will become a muchla to confirm the mitzora. Now, for a nega to be considered a possible nega, it must be at least the size of what's called a gris. A gris is like a kind of bean. You can think of it as the size of a small coin. If you're an American, it's somewhere around the size of a dime or a penny. Um, and if you're an Israeli, it's more or less the size of a shekel coin, something like that. Of course, this has big nafkaminas for hechos nida and so on, but putting that aside for now, the point is, if a person um, is in suffix as our Mishnah, so then, I'll read inside now, call sfeik negaim betchila. If a person's in an uncertain situation where he's not sure if he now is a muchlat, a confirmed Torah or not, so if it's betchila, meaning he's still not yet having been confirmed. He's still just a musgar. He's just um, in some kind of quarantine, sequestration, waiting to find out. So then tahor, if it's a question mark, a suffix, uncertain. So we rule leniently and say that he's tahor and not yet a muchlat, not a confirmed sora. Ajla nizkak latuma, that's so long as he hasn't been um, thrown into the category of someone who is indeed tame. Once he's become tame as a mitzora, so then if we're not sure and a suffix crops up, mishin nizkak latuma, once he's been categorized as uh, so then Sveiko Tame, if we're not sure anymore what to do, we rule stringently that his Suffolk situation is one in which we assume he continues to be a Mitzorah, Mukhlat, um, and that will be um, because of this principle, although the mission doesn't speak it out explicitly, which is pretty interesting, since our topic here is our the reason why we ended up on this topic is because of this Rugalam Ladavar issue. It's funny the Mishnah doesn't actually use the words Shargalam Ladavar, and there's a basis for the matter. There's an assumption to be made based on past events, but anyways, that's what's going on over here. So, what would be the case of a Suffolk Tame and Suffolk Torah for Mitzorah? So, something like this. So, first, let's talk about um, the situation in which we're going to be lenient. So, a case would be 
two people come to the Kohen, they present two Nagoim, one's the size of, let's call it a, a shekel coin, one's a half a shekel coin, or if you're an American, one's the size of a dime, one's the size of a quarter, let's say, for argument's sake, or a penny and a quarter. Um, so, so what happens is they both don't have any of the other confirming signs of the hairs or the mich, the healthy patch, and therefore both are put into sequestration, hezgir for a week, they come back. Now, both of their negoim are the large coin size, so now one of them has become a muchlet because of he has pision, he has expansion of his nega. But let's say we don't know who it was. One of these two guys hasn't had any growth observed in his nega, but we're not sure which one it is. They got mixed up. Who's who? So therefore, one of them is a mitzora, we're not sure which, and since they're not yet confirmed, so it's a suffolk, and we'll rule, rule leniently that they both can treat themselves as being um, just not yet uh, muchlet. Confirmed as Mitzorahs. The other direction, where will be Machmir, strict, is let's say two people come to the Kohen. Again, one has a, like a, a shekel, one has half a shekel, small and large. Um, Nagarim, respectively. So the Kohen puts them both in Hezger. He waits a week. They come out of sequestration. And both of them now have Nagarim that have grown. So both now are bigger than the large coin size, bigger than a half a shekel or bigger than a quarter, whatever the story is. So now, that's Pision, and since they've had expansion, both are now Mukhlat. They're both confirmed as Mitzorahs. So now, how does one stop being a Mitzorah? He has to wait till his Nega resolves itself. Um, how does that resolve itself? It's when the Pision is all gone, when the Nega has shrunken in size back to its original size, when the Kohen first saw it, which means a person could be Tahor even though he has a Nega. If it's the same size it was when things started, which would mean for the guy with the small coin, it has to go originally. His nega has to now shrink back to the small coin size. The person who had the nega the size of a large coin, it has to reduce back to the large coin size um, for it to it to now be resolved. So now let's say these two guys who both had expansion, both had larger than a large coin worth of nega, both become mukhlat, confirmed. Now they come back, you know, some weeks later, and now both of their negoim are back to being the size of just a large coin, the size of a quarter or a half shekel. So now, um, one of them, the one who started out that size, now could begin his tahara process. The other one not. The other one have to wait until his nega shrunk back to the size of the small coin. Um, but we don't know who's who. They got mixed up. If that's the case, so now we're not sure who is the one who can become tahor, but because Sveiko, because there's what we call Nizkak Latuma, they've now both been confirmed as, as um, Tame as a Muchlet, a Matsura Muchlet. So now Sveiko Tame rule strictly for both of them, and both of them must continue to be assumed that they're Matsuraim until the Suffolk, the question, is resolved. Okay, that's case number one of the Mishnah. Case number two of the Mishnah, it's a totally different topic altogether. This is a Mishnah from Zavim, Mesacha Zavim. Um, where we talk about the Zav. And the Zav is a person who has a mysterious emission coming out of his male organ. Um, this is not a seminal emission. This is some other kind of emission. We don't know what it is um, today, but they look a little differently, the two different fluids. And the point is that this fluid makes a person into a, a, a Zav um, under certain conditions, which we'll describe in a second. The Zav is a much more potent source of tuma than a person who just has a regular seminal emission. A seminal emission person is called a balkeri. Balkeri just um, is a very weak source of Toma. He needs to throw the mikvah, and it 
nightfall, he's totally tower. The Zav, in contrast, a very potent source of Toma, um, once confirmed as a, a Zav, he needs seven clean days, and then he needs to go not just to Mikvah, but to Maim Chaim, spring water. While he is Tamez Azav, um, he conveys Tuma, what's called Mishka Mamosha, meaning if he um, puts his weight on something which is designed to support human weight, like even a rug or a chair or a mattress, and if there's like ten mattresses stacked up on top of the other, and he sits on the top mattress, so then all the mattresses down to the bottom are all Tame, and Tame is Avosatuma, a very potent source of Tuma. He is a zav that makes you know things he sits on. Also avatuma, and also the fluid itself, the zov, is an avatuma as well, which conveys tuma um, by masse bearing its weight, not just by touching it, as in the case of carry just seminal fluid. So that being the case, um, we need to decide if a person is a zav, and the pasuk says that he says he's a zav mibisaro. He is a zav from his flesh, um, from which the Gemara understands that he has to be from his own personal illness, he has whatever it is, something inside him that's gone wrong with him, which causes him to be a Zav, and not Machmas Onso, not that he's got some kind of, you know, emission coming out of him because of some external circumstances which are prompting it. It has to be that he's some, something internal. Okay, so that being the case, when a person has a mysterious flow the first time, so it doesn't matter if it's really carrier or Zov, to be honest, even if it's even if it's Zov. So the first time, we treat him like a Baal carry. Exact same halachas, one time off, he just needs to go to the mikvah, and I fall a totally tower. But if he sees a second time, a second mysterious, uh, you know, emission, leaking coming out of him, so now he needs to determine, is this Machmas Onso, something caused this, and it's not some sort of illness within him, in which case he wouldn't be the Zav, or no, and um, this is something that's gone wrong inside of him, and therefore he w- is a Zav. Okay, if he sees a third time, which we'll come to in a moment, so then um, he not only is a zav, but he also is a um, he needs to bring a carbon at the end of his tahara process. So now, the point of a mission here is going to be that we need to ascertain when we see for a second time is this mysterious fluid something that's wrong with him. Or is it Mahmas own? So is, is it something which was caused by an outside effect? If it's an outside effect which has prompted this emission, so then he won't be a Zav. Um, that's for the second. But once he once the second emission has come and we've confirmed something's wrong with him, he is a Zav, and it came from not from some outside factor. So then we have now a categorize him as being a Zav. And the third time when we have a new emission, we don't have to, again, question where this came from. No, we assume, this is the Raglam Adover issue, we assume that since we've established something's wrong with him as a Zav, so the third time is also part of his Zav situation, um, and he's obligated to be a Corbin, etc., without having to check that third emission if it had some external factor or not. We automatically assume, Raglam Adover, there's basis to assume that he's a Zav and something's wrong with him. Okay, so that's the idea on the outside. On the inside, the mission says like this. This is a very famous mission, not because people learn Zavim, they don't, unfortunately, um, but it's in the very beginning of Masechus Kedushin um, in the Gemara, so therefore people know this Mishnah. So it says, there are seven Shiva Drachim, seven ways, meaning for seven external factors, that we Bodkines Azav, we check this person who had this mysterious emission to determine whether it's um, these factors caused him to have his emission, um, which would make him not into Azav. That's Ajlo Nizkak Laziva. That all assumes we haven't yet categorized him into the bucket of someone who has this illness that makes him into a into a zav. We haven't we haven't given him the categorization of, of ziva yet, because um, once that's happened, we'll have Ruklaim Adover. So, what are those seven 
external factors that we could prompt mysterious emissions that would not be considered to be um, ziva, making them into a zav. B'machal, if he, um, what he ate prior to it happening, that could be either um, he eats too much, like he overeats, like says the Rambam, but the Bartonor just says, brings that he ate foods um, that cause one to have an emission, so those are like kind of rich foods, for example, meat, um, fatty meats, or milk, cheese, eggs, and uh, and aged wine. It says Bartonor. Um, so if he had any of those and he's still feeling full from them or whatever it is, so then if he then subsequently has some mysterious um, emission, so then we will say it was the food that caused it and not the Zov, not Mibsaro, and therefore he wouldn't become a Zov yet. That's the first. The second is Uvamishte, drinking, drinking too much. If he drinks too much, that could cause it. The third is Bemasa, he lifted a heavy weight, so that, that, that under that weight, um, like things were squeezed out of him, if you will. So that would be, again, external factor. Uba he jumped. If he's been jumping around, practicing his high jump or jumping up and down, playing basketball or jump rope, and then we find afterwards he's like, you know, leaked a little bit, so we'll assume it's the jumping rope that caused it. Uba if he has some other kind of sickness, whatever, the weakness of his body um, caused malfunction that wasn't um, to do with ziva per se. You know, he just he just happens to be ill for some, from some other factor besides for the, the, the ziva. And finally, the sixth and seventh are Uvamara Uvahirhur. If he saw, say, a woman that excited him, or Bahirhur, or he thought about, let's say, a woman, even though he didn't see her, you have those two factors. I mean, maybe no one ever saw before, he just thought about a woman in general. And that caused him, again, to have some emission. So we're going to assume that even if it doesn't seem like it's seminal emission, it was these thoughts or things that he saw which prompted this mysterious emission, and therefore we won't make him into a Zav. Uh, the Rambam passes, by the way, that um, the time frame to precede the seeing of the, the, of the Zov uh, would be for Mara and Hirhor for, for what he saw and what he thought, even 24 hours. But the other things, um, like jumping or over-drinking, overeating, and so on, it's just as long as he feels the effects of those things. So, you know, while he's still, like, you know, jumping around, um, still, you know, bang, 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 and, 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 you know, out of breath, that kind of time frame, then he discovers something has come out of him that could be um, ascribed to the jumping. But once he's calmed down or once he's no longer feeling, you know, stuff from food and so on, so then not. Okay, that's all to examine that second emission to determine whether it's Mib Saro from his own flesh or it's from Mahmas Onso, some external factor. But mission is Kakla Once we've confirmed that he is in the category of Azov, because um, he's now, the second the second sighting was not cause some external circumstance. So then, aid bon, ein bodkin also. We don't check him a third time when you have a third, you know, sighting um, to make him into a. It's like within the same, within the same, you know, without skipping a day in the middle um, to being a a zav. Onso, um, it doesn't matter if once he's confirmed that if that third sighting was onso for some circumstance beyond his control or usfeko zaro the Bartner learns this as a single case, and we're not sure if what he is seeing now, the mysterious emission, 
is something that came from a previous recent Shechva Zera, some other seminal emission that came, and that caused this extra additional leaking or not, we don't know, so it doesn't matter. Tameyan, in all those cases, if it's a third time, we rule that he is a Zav, we assume he's Tamei, has been the Korban, Shiruglayim Ladavar, that's the essential words there, because we have a basis to assume that he's a Zav, because the second time already we established that he's got these emissions uh, that are not being caused by some external factor, there's something wrong with him, and therefore this third case of seeing some fluid out of him must be once again an expression of his his um, his his ziva. Okay, um, just as a, a important talachic um, P.S. for him to be obliged to bring that korban after the third siding, it has to be that the first two sidings uh, were both not machmas onus. They came from his being unwell and having some condition that causes ziva, as opposed to um, you know some external factor causing it. Okay. Now we are in the third and final case of our Mishnah. Again, Raglan Ladavar situation. Here the situation is, um, it's all, this is also a direct quote from a, the Mishnah from the first, the first Mishnah, the ninth parak of Masechah Sanhedrin. We're talking about um, when Reuven hits Shimon and the thing with which Reuven struck Shimon was enough that it could actually kill him. This could be his fist, even if you punch him to the throat, or Reuven hits him with a baseball bat, whatever the story is. So now the rule is that the Bezin has to ascertain if Shimon has been dealt a, a mortal blow that is likely to cause him to die. So what will happen is, I'm ignoring the issues of Adam and Hasra, assuming that Reuven got the proper warning and witnesses to tell him not to strike Shimon, but he did it anyways. Um, and then now Shimon's taken to hospital, so we say, listen, the Bezin will look. And if they say, listen, this injury from the baseball bat is, you know, I'm likely to kill Shimon. So then we put Reuven in prison. We hold him until we see what happens to Shimon. Okay, and if Shimon dies, then even if it's a week later, so then, you know, Reuven is going to be treated as a murderer. On the other hand, um, if at the time that Shimon is taken to the hospital, the Bezin looks at him and says, listen, these aren't, this is bad, but, you know, no one's going to die from a, whatever, a broken shoulder or something. Um, so then if they ask him that the wounds are not uh, mortal wounds, so then even if subsequent to that Shimon dies, Reuven will not be treated as a murderer because the Bezin said that it's not um, a mortal wound. The question is, what happens if the Bezin looks at Shimon and says, this is a mortal wound, and you know if he doesn't make it, then Shimon is going to die as a consequence of Reuven's attack, and therefore Reuven's a murderer. But then Shimon gets better. Okay, Shimon gets better. He walks out of the hospital. Bezin looks at him a second time and says, you know what? Baruch Hashem. Um, he's recovered nicely. He's on the way to recovery and he's not going to die from that attack after all. And then poor Shimon relapses and he ends up dying after that. So now do we say that the since the Bezin originally ascertained and the, um, they decided, they, they estimated that the wound could really kill Shimon, and therefore that sticks, and now we treat Reuven as the murderer? Or do we say no? Since they did a second assessment, and in the second assessment he had gotten better and he wasn't going to die from it, so the, I'll call it the relapse, was not thanks to Reuven, and therefore when Shimon dies, it's not Reuven's fault, and Reuven's not going to be executed. So which one is it? So with that, we have a machlokas here. It says the Mishnah, Hamake es chavero. Reuven smacks Shimon with a baseball bat. And the Bezin takes a look at Shimon when he's in the hospital and they say, listen, we think this is a mortal wound and 
Shimon is very likely going to die from this. Vahakel mimashahaya. But then the severity of Shimon's injury is reduced to the point that he seems to be better. And they say, oh, he's going to make it. Baruch Hashem. Laachar mikan. But then, after the Bezin takes a second look and says it's going to be okay, Hichbid, it gets worse again, Vemes, and then Shimon dies. So the Tanakama says, Chayav, the Tanakama says, nope, he, the Bezin must have erred in their assessment the second time, and therefore since their initial assessment was this was a mortal wound, and since Shimon did die, we'll hold Reuben responsible, and Reuben will be Chayav as a murderer. But Rebbe Nechemia Omer Pater, Rebbe Nechemia says, no. Reuven is off the hook because since Shimon improved, there's reglai on the davar that anything that goes after that is not from their initial wound but something else, and therefore Reuven should be held innocent. Now, the basis for Reb Nechemishita is actually a, a drasha from a pasuk. Okay, the pasuk um, says that vehike ish esrehu. If it says if uh, Reuven hits his fellow Shimon. And Shimon ends up becoming bedridden in the hospital because of the severity of the, the, the beating that he got. Then the, the Pasuk says, If he gets up again and he walks out of like the hospital bed, whatever it is, al mishanto on his like walking stick, so then the perpetrator who hit Shimon will be cleansed of liability. Reuven will not be construed as a murderer. Okay, he's a bad guy. Maybe he's not a murderer. Now, says Rebbe Nechemia, what in the world is the point of that Pasuk? Obviously, obviously, if he gets better and walks out of the hospital on his walking stick and he doesn't die, so then obviously we're not going to treat Reuven as a murderer because he didn't die. So what's the point of that Pasuk other than to tell you our case? Of he walked out of there, we thought he was get better, but then he relapsed and got sick again. And he died. So the Pasuk says, no, Reuven's off the hook. So that is the Rebbe Nechemi's basis for his ruling, that here too, Rebbe Shimon, excuse me, Rebbe, that uh, Reuven should be off the hook, um, period. Now the Halacha is, is not like Rebbe Nechemi. Meaning the Halacha is like Tanakama, that if he does relapse, Shimon relapses and dies, then we hold the roof responsible, and we assume the initial the initial assessment of the Bezin was binding. Um, period. Um, the turn of phrase, Shiraglam Davar, is a little peculiar um, with respect to uh, Reb Nechemia's ruling, and the reason is because the base of Reb Nechemia's ruling is really based on his limit from a Pasuk, from what he sees in the verse, and not from this Raglam Davar, um, so that's a little strange. Um, but if you'll recall back from Kalb Mishnayis ago, we had the very similar kind of strangeness when we talked about how it's a halach l'mosh regarding the Nazir who's exposed to Tumas home, and yet um, we say Raglayim Ladavar that he's, he is not going to have to do his Naziris all over again. So it's kind of similar. Uh, nevertheless, if you look at the Rambam and Hilchos Rotzeach, Perek Dad, so there he understands that the Raglayim Ladavar of our Mishnah actually goes back on the Tanakhama, we passes like, like I said. So the Tanakama who said that Reuven is now off, is now um, going to be held accountable and and executed, even though Shimon got better in the middle, is because Shiraglam Davar, There's an initial basis. The Raglam Davar was that Shimon received a mortal wound. So the Ram learns differently than than how we read the Mishnah here. But in any case, uh, good. And with that, we finish the fourth, and now go to, we now go to the fifth and final 
Mish of the Perak and the last of the Masechta.